yeah, no, this, I'm not going through this again. And I was done. I was gone. And it was a learning curve. I mean, each time we grow, it's, it's like anything change doesn't happen overnight. We don't just automatically go from who we, you know, were to this perfect person and we never will be perfect, but it's as long as each time you're getting a little bit better, you're being more aware. And then eventually you get to a point where that awareness is so clear, so perfect that you now know, I know exactly what I need to do. I know if this is good. I know if this is bad. And you have that ability to say no easily, to walk away from situations. And it's just building that strength and building that power back up. That's former people pleaser, Jen Goodfriend. And I'm Brian Falchuk. This is Do A Day. You'll hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned. I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know we can all overcome and achieve because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers. Welcome back to another episode of Do A Day. Today, my guest is Jen Goodfriend. The last name of Goodfriend, right? She must be a good person. She must be caring and thoughtful of others, and that's exactly what Jen is. She's a hypnotherapist and empowerment coach who is really focused on a particular type of person, people pleasers, because that's what her background was. And so we talk through how she came to be that way, what the impact was, which led to a full-blown burnout. She had all these physical manifestations of the emotional uh, and mental toll of living as a people pleaser to the point that while she was in the hospital, to get checked out for hip pain she had as a result of just wearing herself ragged. She ended up actually passing out in the hospital, hitting her head, getting a concussion. It's so emblematic of how it was all coming together and just taking her down. So Jen, in her 30s, walked away from everything, from a marriage that wasn't working, from a business that was taking too much from her, to start her 30s on a clean slate so she could rebuild a life that brought her joy, a life of her own design, not just in response to other people. We get into this really important topic, not just burnout, which is something we've talked about numerous times, but specifically the idea of people-pleasing and where it comes from, how detrimental it can be, that push and pull of you know feeling like you need to be there for people and are you bad, are you, you know, not a caring person if you aren't, and what are you doing to yourself in the process? So lots of depth to her story and some really good, actionable ways to start to change this process, which is 100% driven by the decisions we make in our mindset, but then actually living them. Let's jump into the story with Jen Goodfriend. Jen Goodfriend, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I, um, I have to say, so we got connected through this Spot A Guest community. And um, I was kind of skeptical going in, like, oh, one more site to log into. And, you know, maybe no one's going to really be bought in or using it that much. But there's a ton of amazing people there. And I'm so thankful to have gotten connected with you when I was looking for folks for the show. You raised your hand and uh, you had me sold pretty much right off the bat when you gave me a little tidbit of what you're into. So I'm excited to bring it to the show today. 
Oh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, when I seen your invite, I like you, I joined the group and thought, ah, oh, we'll see if this works out or not. Been yeah. part of a few groups and I'm like, yeah. And yeah, seen your requests and I'm like, oh my gosh, like he's speaking my language. This is cool. amazing. I love it. Good. Um, so give us give us a little high level of what your language is today, what it is that you're working on, and then we'll dig back into the backstory, which is always the the meaty part of the show. Yeah, I'd love to. So I'm a uh, hypnotherapist and coach, and I specialize in helping people pleasers, those people that put everybody else ahead of themselves, um, always saying yes when they want to say no, full of guilt, full of anxiety, all these issues that they have, but they feel like they have to. Like, Mm. well, but... I'm the nice person. This is who I am. I have to be this way or people won't like me or I'm going to disappoint. And that's such BS. And I want to help people overcome that. I was about to go into why this is so timely and like three or four examples from this week alone. And it's only Tuesday when we're recording. And then I'm like, (laughs) but it's kind of always so timely because this is, I don't know if it's a new phenomenon or it's an accelerating phenomenon or it's always been there. I mean, I know it's been there for some folks some of the time, but it does seem to be like this really present issue so many of us battle with. And if you don't, people will call you an egotist or narcissistic or no, you may be, but, you know, just because you put yourself first on occasion, just because you take care of your needs, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. And I think a lot of us struggle with that, right? We do. Yeah. We get into, especially women, we get into this nice persona where, I have to be nice. I have to be there and be everything for everybody. And I have to put everyone else first or people are going to look down on me or in the women's side, I don't want to be the bitch. I hear Mm. that all the time, but Oh, I don't want to be the bitch or the men. I don't want to be an asshole. Like people are going to look at me bad and I'm going, but don't you look up to those people. Don't you see them as strong and confident and emulate to want to be them. But at the same time, you're afraid of being that person. Yeah. Well, they can do it. That's okay. But I can't. I'm not good enough. Exactly. And that's exactly where it comes from is that I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. That's not for me. It's nothing to do with them not being able to. It's it's the whole mindset piece. Yeah. So I think when people think about this topic, they think about it in a few specific contexts, like you know, saying yes to doing something that you're too tired to do. So like there was a funeral friend of a family of, of my family um, yesterday and my sister and I were talking about going to, you know, the services and she's been really sick and going really hard with a bunch of different things. And she f- was like wavering and finally was just like, look, like I, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm crashing. I really just need to stay home. And I had a lot of respect for that. I think it's that kind of stuff where we tend to think of it is like, putting yourself out, taking away from your wellness, from your energy, just because of what other people might think or what they're expecting of you. But I just had lunch with a friend who's been back to back in a few jobs that he took without really thinking about what he wanted. And like, they sounded interesting. They were really interested in him. And then it seemed almost like, not like he owed them, but almost like the expectation had been set that he's just going to take the job, right? And so we went into it and would sort of wake up down the road like, wait, why am I doing this? So there's there's lots of different contexts where this pops up, um, at least from my perspective. 
Oh, definitely. I see it all the time. I mean, I see it a lot in mothers where with children, there's this expectation that you got to have a career. You got to be there at the school to pick them up. You've got to make them lunches. You got to be everything for everybody. And then I see it in business as well. These women think I have to help everybody. I have to work with everyone who asked to work with me, even if they're not ideal, even if they drain your energy. Plus, you're going 20 million different directions and you're wanting to be this for your husband and this for your kids and this for your friends. And you're just spreading yourself so thin to the point where you don't have anything to give anybody. Yeah. it's. um, I think it's one more piece of this whole burnout topic that is so, so hot right now. Um, because a lot of us are burning out and pushing back in all the ways to protect ourselves in that. So you um, you did a lot of, let's call it firsthand research on the topic yourself, and that's <laughs> right where your backstory comes from. So I'd love to hear about your journey and what led you to seeing the need for this and, and um, you know, trying to help other people. Sure, I'd love to. So for me, this started at a very young age. I remember as a kid, I was the overachiever, the one who wanted to make everybody happy. I would go out of my way. I mean, I was a six-year-old kid that would clean the bathroom to make my parents happy because that was so important is, you know, I didn't want to see anyone upset. I didn't want to see anyone mad at me. I didn't want to see anybody down. So I seen that if I did nice things, if I was always there to cheer people up, if I was the one doing things for other people and making them happy, they felt better. They were, days were better. So I created this belief in my mind that I have to be everything for everybody. I had to be an overachiever. I had to be perfect. I was a star athlete. I was a straight A student all through school. And it was funny. Every once in a while, I would have my rebellious moments, which people pleasers do. And the guilt would almost kill me afterwards. I would do mm. something and I would feel so bad about it that I would up my people pleasing even more for the next little while. Oh, wow! And it got into this cycle of being so good for so long and then having, you know, one breakdown, one slip up and I do something really bad and then guilt would get me back into that vicious cycle. And it even controlled where I went to school. I took, um, went to school for business because that's what I thought my parents would want, what would make them happy. Yeah, of course. Right. And then, yeah, from school, I got a career that I thought would make my family and friends happy and would make them you know, proud of me and continued on through that, even though I wasn't completely happy. And then um, being a woman in my family, there's huge expectations on getting married and having children. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, that's what's expected of you. Like, my mom's always been a stay-at-home mom. She was there and raised me and my brother. I love her to death, but that was her path. Yeah. But in my family, there was still that expectation. You have children, you stay home, you raise them, you find a man to support you and take care of you. And here I am getting into my late 20s, still not married, still no kids, with this weight of expectations on my shoulder of you're doing it wrong. You, There's something wrong with you. Why are you not doing this? And I was in a relationship at the time, a long-term relationship that wasn't going well, that I wasn't happy with, but I stayed because of all these expectations. I didn't want to disappoint anybody. I was with this person who was long-term and then he proposed to me. And honestly, that day still sticks in my mind so clearly. I remember the day he proposed, the first thought that popped in my mind is, oh shit, what do I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not, oh my God, yes. Like the typical yeah. reaction to me, it was like, oh my God. And 
because of these expectations on me, because I wanted to make everyone happy, I said yes. Oh, wow. And so nine months, 10 months, something like that later, here I am on my wedding day, wake up the morning of my wedding going, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. Like I am making the biggest mistake of my life. But then I went, but everybody's already here. Yeah, the trains left the station. Yeah, everyone's here. I can't disappoint them. I can't call it off now. I'm just, I'm going to have to suck it up and I'm going to have to go through with it. So I did. I walked down that aisle. I got married and my already kind of shitty relationship after the wedding turned absolutely horrible. The person I was with was selfish, immature. And after the wedding, he told everybody, well, she's, you know what, I've got her now. She's not going anywhere. And he just turned into an asshole and got worse. And, you know, at the time I was running my own business, it was fairly successful, as successful as it could be when you're making everybody else a priority. Because at the time I'm taking care of him, I'm doing all the cooking, all the cleaning, trying to run a business. I would, you know, had family and friends that were always calling on me because as a people pleaser, as soon as someone calls and says, I need your help, you drop everything. Yep. And they know it's like either consciously or subconsciously. Exactly. They know that you're the reliable one they call you. You know what? Oh, I always know I can count on Jen. So they would call me and of course I drop everything. And pretty soon I'm working, you know, at 18 hour days between helping people, trying to run my business, trying to grow my business. All of a sudden my health started to suffer because of the stress, the lack of sleep, everything else. And then one day it all came to a head. How far into the marriage was that point? Oh, only a couple months. Like it was pretty fast. It was. Yeah. yeah. Like it was already pretty bad come wedding time. Everything was really starting to weigh on me. The stress was getting so bad. My health was already starting to suffer. And yeah, it was only that added stress from the relationship and everything else just kind of compounded so quickly after that. Wow. So I, I did want to go back for a second. And you mentioned from age six, what, where did it maybe before, but where do you think the people pleasing came from? Um, it was just that expectation of when I was the good girl. So I'm the younger of two. I've got a brother who's a year older than me. And he was always the difficult one. He was always, you know, struggled in school. He always liked to get in trouble. He had a very bad temper. He's a redhead. I always say it's that redhead temper that... Yeah those crazy redheads and stuff. And I swear that's, you know, where it comes from. But my parents always had some difficulties with him. They, he always needed the extra work, the extra help. And I seen that as, um, in a way that maybe I wasn't good enough. I picked up this Mm. belief that I wasn't enough. I wasn't good enough. Why are they giving him all this attention? Why, why do I have to earn this? Why do I have to work so hard? So in my childhood mind, which is funny because I, this is my specialty now is these beliefs we create as children Mm. is our beliefs we create by the age of five is about 50 to 60% of our adult beliefs are created in that time frame. So me as a young child, you know, before the age of five, seeing that the only way to get attention was to be the good girl, was to be perfect, was to be helpful. So this created that people, people, people pleaser belief of, I have to do these things to get attention. I have to do these things to be the person that they want to be around. Mm. And as I grew up, those things just compounded because the more I did it, the more I proved to myself that this is what I had to do. Yeah. Yeah. It completely gets reinforced. And especially once you fit in that role from such an early age, then that's how everyone sees you. 
Yeah, that yeah. was my identity. I yeah. was always the good girl, the overachiever, the the person that everyone could count on. That became my identity with everybody. And yeah. once you create this identity for yourself, it's hard to break free from that. Yeah. All right. So, well, and thank you for for sharing that. I mean, the, the early years, it, it can be tough to go back to. So I appreciate you giving that insight. Um, as we go to this two, three month mark in the marriage where your health starts taking a turn for the worse, what, how does that manifest? What specifically, specifically is going on for you? Um, so the biggest thing is it started manifesting into burnout. So I was exhausted 24 seven. It did not matter how much sleep I was getting, what I was doing. I was just exhausted all the time. I was, um, then I started getting these lightheaded and dizzy spells. I'd go to stand up and the room would start spinning. I'd have to sit down, put my head between my, you know, knees. And then that started happening while I was driving mm. and, just all these things compounded and body aches, body pains. And I remember the the breaking point, I was at the hospital and my doctor wanted me to get some x-rays for some pain in my hip that I had. So I remember they're like, well, can you, we want to do these x-ray standing. So I said, great. So I'm standing against the wall, you know, it's standing there really still so they can do these x-rays. And I remember my head started to spin. And I thought to myself, if I just close my eyes for a second, it'll go away. But mm. when I closed my eyes, I actually passed out. That's how bad it had got. Mm, so wow. I closed my eyes. And next thing you know, I wake up on the floor and I'd actually hit my head on the concrete floor and got a concussion while getting x-rays oh because God. the burnout was so bad that my body just shut down and said, yeah. you're done. We can't do this anymore. It's like it knew you were in a safe place where you could get help. So just giving up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just my body says I need, you know, what I always say that I kept getting these signs from the universe saying you're overdoing it. We're giving you the signs saying stop, don't do this, don't take this path. Yeah. And I wasn't listening. And this was the universe's way to kind of slap me across the face and say, hey, we've given you enough signs. We need to really knock you across the face and say, hey, are you actually listening now? Yeah. It's funny, the phrase people pleasing, like you're people too. It's not really people pleasing in the full broadest sense. It's other people pleasing. It's not, it, it's always at your own expense. It is. And that's what we don't understand is we think it's about everybody else, that mm. we're the bottom of the totem pole, that we're the last person we should think of, that we have to put everybody else ahead of ourselves. But that's, you know, the exact opposite of what you should be doing. Yeah. So you're down on the ground, concussed in the hospital. Um, and now I'm curious if they got the x-rays of your hip before you went down, but I know that's like a minor point. Uh, did they? <laughs> we did. We got okay. it through. They ended up actually, um, we had a few more to do, but they ended up laying me down on the bed and okay. said, well, we can do it laying down the rest of them. And I felt so bad for the nurse. And this was the people pleaser kicking in. You felt in so is. bad for the nurses as you're sitting there, like having hit your head on the concrete. That's so, yeah. it's such a like perfect description of, of people pleasing in and of itself. Oh, yeah, I was so concerned. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, guys. I'm taking up your time. You know, all these people behind me, they're going to be wondering what's going on and why things are taking so long. And I was more worried about everybody else and not yeah. even thinking about the fact that I just fell and hit my head on a concrete floor. Were you bleeding? No, thank God. Okay. I didn't crack my head. I hit it pretty hard. I had a good headache for yeah. a day or two afterwards. But, oh, no, it could have been way worse. That's for sure. Yeah. You totally would have had the same, like with blood dripping down your face, being like, I'm so sorry to have done this to you. Be like, wait, do you understand whose head is cracked open right now? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, 
So what, what came from all this? What, like, was that the turning point or was there further to go? It was. That kind of is when I started realizing something was wrong. So mm. after that, I started talking to doctors, trying to figure out what was going on. Of course, the doctors had no clue. One of my doctors actually told me, don't worry, passing out isn't a big deal. Just, you know what, if you feel it coming on, put your head between your legs. That was his cure for well, people me. People don't just pass out. Like, that's not like a thing you do on the regular basis, you know? What? No. How long ago was this? Oh, uh, 2011, 2012. Okay. Yeah, I mean, burnout wasn't yet the hot topic that it's become, but passing out has never been a fashionable thing. I remember this is a little bit off topic, but um, hopefully you see the connection. I, I was hiring for a job years ago and we got this resume from a recent college grad and for his hobbies, he listed donating blood. <laughs> I'm like, that's that now I knew the kid in college and he used to, he was part of the red cross club or whatever. And he would dress up as a blood droplet. So what he meant was like participate, participating in blood drives, but he wrote it as his hobby was donating blood. Like, no, that's not, that's not like, Oh, what are you doing? I'm going to go to the movies. I'm, I'm donating blood. It's what I do on Saturdays. Like, it's not a thing. <laughs> People don't just like pass out. No big deal. Just stick your head between your knees. And that should be, that's a warning sign. It really is. Yeah. And it was the wake up. So that's what started my journey as I started then seeing some naturopaths, seeing some alternative healers, talking with them, this whole idea of burnout showed up. And again, like you said, it wasn't very well known at the time. So to hear that word, I'm like, well, what do you mean? Yeah. And I still didn't correlate it with the relationship at that point. Yeah. I just thought it was me trying to do too much. How did you get into the naturopath and the sort of non-traditional Western, I guess traditional Western doesn't make sense, but more like typical Western medicine, you know, white lab coat in a big hospital kind of approach? Has that, is that something you had been familiar with already? Not really. I done I dabbled in it a little bit here and there, but never truly took a big approach to it. But after that doctor told me that there was no big deal and seeing other doctors and all, I always got the we don't know what's wrong with you. There doesn't seem to be anything. Your blood works fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. Get more sleep. It's all in your head. Mm. Um, all those things. Oh, it's not such a big deal. And it just was one thing after another. And I'm going, I know there's something wrong with me. Yeah. I need something like I need somebody who will listen. So how did you find that path? Uh, a friend suggested it. She had been doing natural health for years and had found big results with it. And she just kind of, she seen I was at my breaking point and I said, you know what, I'm willing to do anything, anybody, I need help. I need something. You know what? I'm, I'm ready to give up. Like what's going on here. And yeah. she said, well, here, try this person out. And I just started with her, tried some different modalities, different things. And then it was like someone actually listened to me, which was the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah, that is a huge difference in the approach is they don't have the same, like, maybe it's different in Canada, but like, I think there's something like eight minutes with a patient is the standard now. Um, you can't, you can't ask questions, you can't listen, you have to just sort of like dismissively tell them what the answer is, even if it's, I don't know, there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. Um, the, the whole, the paradigm's not really allowing for, like a, a natural, uh, a naturopath a functional medicine doctor, they might spend two hours with you, mm -hmm. which isn't great if you're waiting in the waiting room, you know, as the next <laughs> patient, but it's because there's a lot to talk about. There's a whole story to unfold. And, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And once I start talking about the issues, the pressure I was under, the stress, the lack of sleep, 
it was just like it all came out and they're like, oh, well, we think we know what's wrong. We want to help you. Let's get started. Let's try. And I mean, like anything, it wasn't an overnight cure. I was so bad. My adrenals were shot. I Mm. had completely burnt out my adrenals. My, I was living off caffeine and sugar just to stay awake. So I would get these high highs, but then I would get the lowest lows and I would get these crashes. And that was the passing out. Some of it was my blood sugar would just drop so low that my body couldn't function. Mm. So you start to figure out what's going on. What's what turns things around for you? And I have to say, I'm really curious. I'm sure you're not madly in love with the same guy and still married. So I'm curious how that plays out. So walk us through the rest of it. So, yeah, so I got married in September. Um, by Christmas, I knew I was done. Like I, I didn't want to do it over the holidays. I felt that people pleaser again. I can't do this over the holidays. I'm gonna hurt everybody. I'm gonna disappoint yeah. everybody. So I made it through the holidays. So most three months. miserable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and most miserable time of my life. Like the Christmas holidays. I Christmas is my favorite time of year, and literally that was the worst. Yeah. I had gone home to see my family, brought him with me, and my mom actually kicked me out. She said, "You're miserable and hard to be around. I'm sick of this. Go home." Like, that's how bad it was. So I went home. Did your family like him or no? No, I found out later not. They they didn't at all. But of course, I thought they did. I thought they wanted this. So Mm. I went through it. So by January, I realized that this... I have to do something, but I, I'm a planner. I'm a type A personality. So I couldn't just up and walk away. How was I going to do this? I lived nine hours from my family. Mm. I was all alone down there. I had friends and everything, but how was I going to make this work? So I finally confided in my family, finally told them everything that had been going on because I'd been keeping it to myself. Mm. Friends, nobody, my best friend didn't even know what was going on. I kept all of this to myself, hadn't said a thing to anybody. And finally, I kind of in the new year said, this is enough. I sat with, down with everybody. I told them exactly what was going on. And thank God everyone was on my side and they wanted to help. So we put together a plan. And the beginning of February, I moved out. I left. I walked away. He begged me, told me it was all my fault. We got in an argument just before I left. I I thought, you know what, I'm going to give this one more try. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to tell him how I feel, you know, explain things, you know what, see what happens. And I remember sitting down trying to talk to him and he ignored me and ignored me and ignored me. And I finally kept raising my voice and raising my voice. And I'm a very soft-spoken person. So to get me mad and for me to raise my voice, it takes a lot. And I just kind of kept raising my voice, raising my voice. Finally, I'm like, I just exploded on him and he exploded right back. And it's all your fault. If you didn't do this, if you didn't do that, this wouldn't be this way. You know, you're the one that screwed everything up and just kind of blew everything up on me and made me feel like complete garbage. <laughs> I'm sure you weren't surprised. It doesn't make it easier, but I mean, maybe in the moment, uh, were you? I was surprised that that was his reaction, but at the same time, it didn't surprise me. Like, yeah, like, um, I knew he wasn't the type to take responsibility for anything he never had in his life. And that, I mean, he pretty much moved from his parents' house in with me. I'd been living on my own already for 10 years. I was out and about doing my own thing, living my own life. And he had gone from mommy's house to my house and just wanted me to take care of him and support Mm -hmm. him. And, and that I always joke now that he needed a mom, not a wife. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a lot more common than I think most people would want to admit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right. I'm going to stop interrupting. So. No, not a problem. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so February came around and 
I walked away. I just told him, I said, I'm not happy. I'm, you know what, I'm miserable. This is why, you know, we need to take a break. And I told him, I said, we need to stay apart for a week. And this in a way was, I always say it was kind of my test too, is because mm-hmm. to me, if you truly love somebody, nothing will get between the two of you. So I told him outright, I said, I need a week. Yeah. Leave me alone. Don't talk to me. Don't do nothing. And he did. He never tried contacting me. He never nothing. At the end of the week, I even waited for him to call me nothing. So I called him and said, hey, what's going on? Oh, I'm too busy to talk right now. And I was just like, done. I'm like, okay, you haven't tried to find me. You haven't, you know, begged me to come back. You haven't done nothing. And that. And it was funny because just before... Just before I left, I also found out he was still talking to his ex, who he was still in love with. So you guys I was, had been together for a while, though, so this must have been a very long time. Yeah, we were together for three and a half years total by the time I left him. But I didn't realize that he was still communicating with his ex until just before I left. Somehow it popped up on his computer or something. Uh, I was using it, and a message from her popped up, and she was also married. But I had found out that the two of them had still been communicating, and he let it slip one day that he was still in love with her Mm. and that she was always the one. She was the one um, he wanted to be with, which ironically, it's funny now because they're actually married now. They oh, She wow. got divorced a couple years after we did, and they're actually now together. So he got what he really wanted. Well, good for them. Yeah. And good for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm yeah. fine with that. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. out of there. That was the best. But yeah, it was just little things like that, like finding out he was still talking to her, finding out that there was still... To me, in my mind, that was still cheating because it's not... Sure. He was hiding it from me. Yeah. He was saying things, intimate things that he shouldn't have been saying. And meanwhile, he's not having a relationship with me. To me, he completely checked out. Yeah. I think there's a really easy litmus test where people say, well, if we didn't have sex, it wasn't cheating. If your spouse found out, what would their facial reaction be? You know, how would they feel if they knew about this? If the answer isn't like, oh, they'd be so happy about it, then it's not right. Like it's exactly. really straightforward. But you as a people pleaser, maybe you would have felt like, oh, I'm glad that you're still friends or, you know, like maybe you look for some way to spin it positively to support them at your own expense. And I did it first because when I first found out they were talking, he said that, oh, they were just friends. And I mm-hmm. believed him. I took it as that as they were still friends and that. But then he was on his computer talking to her more than he was talking to me. And at the time, I didn't know what that was, like that he was actually talking to her. All I know is he'd come home from work and he would sit on the computer in front of the TV and he would just zone out and wouldn't talk, wouldn't do nothing. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't realize till later that he was spending so much time talking to her. Wow. Um, Not to say that exes can't be friends. It's great if you can have a good relationship like that and it's all copacetic and, you know, but it's not always that simple and someone may well have feelings and it's, you know, there's more to it, but your current partner has to be your first priority. I agree. have to be your first priority from an attention standpoint, from a, are they okay with this standpoint? And if not, sorry, you're not with that person. No. And the problem was, is like me, like most people pleasers, is we end up with people that are selfish, self-absorbed, narcissistic, because those are the people we're attracted to. And they're attracted to us because they see that 
we're going to be there for them, that we're going to fulfill those needs that they have. So we're drawn to them. So of course I was drawn to somebody who needed me. Oh, he needs me. He needs me. But the thing is, is when you get used so much to the point I did where I was burnt out, you only can take so much until you get that breaking point. And I've seen some women though, that let it go too far, that sure. where they've let it control their life and then they have no way out, where the guy has taken over control, they have no money of their own, they have nothing of their own, they have no way of getting out. This guy has now just completely taken over their life and can do and say and be whatever he wants to and they have no way of getting out and I seen that coming and I was not gonna allow myself to get that yeah. far. Well, I'm really thankful you had this turnaround even though it took you down in the, you know, it was, it was a difficult thing to go through um, and that you did something with it because you're certainly not the first person to be in that kind of spot, but most wouldn't walk away from marriage that quickly, even though they should. Yeah. Like it's better to do it then than 20 years later when there's nothing left of you and, you know, you've, you've given up your own chance to have the life you need, not just the person who's taking from you. And that's exactly it. What about if we had kids? I'd be tied to them for the rest of my life and all these other expectations. And then once you have kids, it's even harder too. I talk to women all the time that say, but he's the father of my child. And what if he doesn't support me? What if he fights me? This and that or custody battles. I can't leave him. What if he goes after kids to go through that or. Exactly. There's all these other added excuses that come on. And I seen that coming up the fact that if I didn't go now it was going to be harder the longer I stayed. Yeah. Yeah, good for you. So so you make that break. I'm really happy to hear that you're able to do that. That is like that alone should be an inspiration for folks listening who are in that spot. I'm not trying to break up relationships. <laughs> but if they need to, they need to. Yes. Um you know, I, I wrote a relationship book and it talks about making things 100% better, which does not mean you stay together. It may mean that you split up, and it's a question of how and what you're left with as a result of that, not financially, but as a human being, and what your relationship is or isn't, and whether they're still able to hurt you and control you, and all those reasons why you shouldn't be with them. Um, so it's it's not to say everyone should break up. It's not to say everyone should stay together. But if you're giving yourself up and being taken down by someone, it's probably not the right kind of relationship. And that's exactly it. And one of the things I use that's really powerful is I tell women that I work with when they have kids, put yourself in your daughter's shoes. How Mm. would you feel if your daughter was going through what you went through? And the perspective and the realizations these women go through is profound. It's like, oh my God, I never thought about that. If my daughter was in my shoes, I would be dragging her out of there myself. Yeah. Yeah. And that. So what, tell me about the path to getting to this place. So what are some of the things you did that helped you recover to strengthen yourself, to break this cycle and actually focus on your own needs, at least from time to time, if not on balance, which is where we should all get to? Yeah. So I'm the type of person I'm going all in or, or not. So after the divorce, I realized that that wasn't the only thing I had been doing to please everybody else. So, um, I closed up my business. I was really good at what I did. I was a business consultant. I'm really good with numbers. My clients loved me. I I did amazing work for them, but I was not in love with what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I did it because of the expectations. That's where I had built up with the schooling and the career and everything else I had built from these expectations of everybody else. And I realized after my divorce 
that this was just one of those other expectations. And I realized I can't keep doing this. So yeah. I closed up my business, um, pretty much gave up everything because my ex-husband pretty much ostracized me. He told all our friends that you have to choose her or me. And because I walked away, he badmouthed me so bad to everybody. The stories, the yeah. things that were coming out of his mouth, he made me feel like the cruelest person in the world. And unfortunately, a lot of people believed him. A lot of people didn't see the side of him that I saw. They seen that, you know, face that he put on all the time. Yeah. And so I lost a lot of friends. I lost, I took, gave up my business. I moved out. I ended up moving in with my aunt. I had nowhere else to go. And she offered me a house in her place. So I was very grateful that I at least had that opportunity to get out and start over. And that's what I did. I tell everybody that I had a rebirth, mm. that after that, I gave up everything and I started from scratch again. Mm. So what, what does that, and this is like seven years ago ish, mm -hmm. right? So what is, what does starting from scratch look like? How do you rebuild yourself? Yeah. So it all started in yeah February, 2012. So when I walked out, um, I continued with the business for a little while, then gave that up. I ended up just taking a job, going back to work. Uh, it was in the same field, so it wasn't per se what I really wanted to do, but it yeah. gave me the time and the money to start working on myself. So mm -hmm. I focused on my health. I started seeing alternative practitioners. I started focusing on getting myself feeling better. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I started taking classes. I was all of a sudden became a self-help junkie. I'd never really mm. read self-help books before, but a friend recommended one and I devoured it. And next thing you know, I was going through a book a week, just devouring wow. all this knowledge about this industry I'd never heard anything about. And it's like, oh my God, I need this. Yeah. And then I went to this conference with a bunch of amazing women who are all mostly, you know, related to that self-help industry, different coaches, consultants, and listening to their stories and how they helped. I'm like, oh my God, like, I love this world. What is this world of coaching and, and all this? So I started researching that and hired some coaches to help myself and just immersed myself in this world of, you know, turning my life around, self-help books, coaching, um, natural health, everything I could to try and make myself feel better. And in some ways, it was a good thing. In some ways, I allowed that people pleasing to come back because mm -hmm. it's like, oh, if I'm going to do this, I have to do it 100%. And so that I had to work through. It was about two, three years in when I finally realized I still had that people pleaser. I had ended up getting into another longer term relationship with somebody and I found I was making those same mistakes, those mm -hmm. same patterns again where I was putting my own journey aside. Cause at that point I had made leaps and bounds in my personal development. Yeah. I had started training to be a coach. I had started doing all this work on myself. And then the person I was with almost resented the changes, hmm. almost resented that I was becoming this person and possibly leaving them behind. And they just wanted me to take care of them and do those things. And thank God I recognized the pattern very quickly and didn't allow myself to go down that same path I had before. Cause at least once you go through it once, I find you see things better and yeah. you're more aware if you make that. And that was one of my things after the divorce is I have to be more aware 
of this inner feeling because as people pleasers, we don't listen to our gut feelings. We don't listen to that little voice that says, you shouldn't be doing this or that little inkling that says, hey, maybe there's something wrong. We learn to ignore that to the point where we don't even get that anymore. Yeah. And so as I was working on things, I started getting that voice back and I started realizing my voice was very spot on. And when I listened to it, things worked out. And when I didn't, shit hit the fan. <laughs> yeah. So I really had to focus on that. And that first big relationship after my marriage really taught me that. And it helped me get out of a situation before it got too bad. When was that? Um, we started dating about two years after my divorce. And it's funny, he actually, I left the town, me and my ex-husband, we moved to a town of 300 people, his hometown. This person I met went to high school with him. So I ended up oh, moving no back way. to this small hometown with my ex-husband, my ex-in-laws. And that was torture to begin with just being around them regularly. Cause a town of 300 people, you're going to run into That's them so on a regular teeny. basis. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they literally, yeah, my um, boyfriend's dad was very good friends with my ex-father-in-law. Like, it was just small world. So, went through that. Thank God, you know, what I realized, like I said, we were together about two, three years when I realized what was going on. And I kind of was like, "Uh uh-uh, like, you've been here before. Mm -hmm. This is not going to turn out well in your favor. You need to get the hell out. and. I did. It's like, nope, been there, done that. I'm out of here. Wow. Um, I, I, I'm wondering about the, like when you found out like, oh, he comes from the same team. Like that is a really small town. Um, if you had, did you have any alarms going off that you weren't listening to or did it take longer to see that? Um, the whole town thing at first didn't bother me. It wasn't as big of a deal, I thought. But then when we eventually, after about a year and a half, I decided that I would move in with him. We were originally doing kind of a long distance thing. We lived about an hour apart, so Mm -hmm. it wasn't too bad. I lived in the city. He lived out in the country. And after about a year and a half, I thought, okay, well, we've got to a point. Well, let's try this. So I moved out to be with him. And that's kind of when everything started to really come to fruition. When I seen not only living with him, how things were going to be, it was kind of like being back with my ex-husband all over again, which you don't see until sometimes until you've lived with somebody, you don't see those side of them. But then being back in that small town, it was almost like surreal. Like, oh my God, I've been here. I've done this. And then, yeah, running into my ex and then, he when he found out me and this guy were together, the rumors started spreading again. And I got to the point where the stuff I was hearing from people was just crazy. Like yeah. my ex-mother-in-law was telling everybody that I only married him because I wanted a big wedding. Like I just wanted the wedding. I didn't want the marriage and all these other stupid rumors and stuff because my ex-mother-in-law had some mental health issues and she really was not a nice person. <laughs> So it just, yeah, it was just blown out of proportion. And then once I realized that this person, because at first I thought, well, you know, if this person and me are going to work out, maybe we can just leave. Maybe we can go somewhere else. But then I realized that this person wasn't going to be my person. And I thought, no, I just need to get out again, that I don't want to go back down this road. Mm -hmm. And again, I did. It was a learning curve. I didn't. I didn't listen as well as maybe I should and as well as I do now in relationships. And there were mm-hmm. still some, some red flags that I maybe pushed aside. 
but definitely didn't push them down like I did before. And eventually it's like, okay, I've had a couple red flags, a couple things have popped up. Yeah, no, this, I'm not going through this again. And I was done. I was gone. And it was a learning curve. I mean, each time we grow, it's, it's like anything change doesn't happen overnight. We don't just automatically go from who we, you know, were to this perfect person and we never will be perfect, but it's as long as each time you're getting a little bit better, you're being more aware. And then eventually you get to a point where that awareness is so clear, so perfect that you now know, I know exactly what I need to do. I know if this is good. I know if this is bad. And you have that ability to say no easily, to walk away from situations. And it's just building that strength and building that power back up. Yeah. So on the back of coming out of that relationship, which was difficult, but another point of empowerment, um, is that when you started the coaching work that you're doing now? Because you said you'd gotten the certification and, and was were studying. So when did you get into coaching? Yeah. So while I was in that relationship, I had started my coaching journey and I had started, uh, originally it started in the health coaching realm, actually helping women with the burnout because mm. I had helped heal myself. I had figured out how to turn my own health around. So I wanted to help others because at that point it was starting to become an epidemic, you know, at that 2014, 2015 timeframe, it was yeah. really starting to become prevalent and I had helped turn my own life around and I wanted to help others. So I started down that road. I started helping women. I started changing lives and I found this light inside of me that I'd never found before. I've always knew I liked helping people. And as a child, I loved helping people, but it was making an impact. It wasn't just abusing myself to help others. Yeah. It was doing something that would make a difference in the world, but in a way that I wouldn't take it out on myself. Like I wasn't having to give up myself and give up on myself to do it. I was able to help others and help myself. Yeah. Oh, I really like that. So, um, to get to where you are today, were there other major points of sort of waking up to other areas where you were still people pleasing to an extent, or was it like once the horse was out, you know, roaming free and, and just kept building up speed? I have no did, idea if that's a real analogy. I may have just made that up. It's funny. I'm a horse girl. So the whole right, then I did analogy it all on purpose. Perfect. Yeah. Great. So yeah, it, after that, it really started snowballing. Um, I still, my biggest issue was still family. I, mm. um, I'd cleaned up my friends list. I'd got rid of a bunch, even my best friend who I realized had been using me for so long that, you know, I was the one that I was always there for her. I was always there when she wanted, but mm. I realized it was such a one-sided relationship. And this is your best friend, the person that's supposed to be there for you all the time. And I realized after all this awakening that, oh my God, like she's just using me. And when I slowly started backing away, she got very mad, very angry. Oh my God, what are you doing? You're always there for me. And that relationship changed because all of a sudden I wasn't there for her 24 seven. I wasn't yeah. at her back call and I started seeing the true self. So I cut her out and I said, I don't need people like that. So I, cutting friends out was starting to be easy. I realized who was there for me, who wasn't, but then it came to family. Mm. And when it comes to setting boundaries with family and saying no, so hard it decades is so, behind it. It is. Uh. And I love my mother to death. We have an amazing relationship, but she's a people pleaser as well, mm. who will not get over it, who will not accept it. 
And she, she is the queen of guilt. I tell everybody like that woman used guilt on me my whole life. She didn't have to ground me. She just had to make me feel guilty and I would punish myself. (laughs) And even in adulthood, she started doing that. She was still doing that. And here I was trying to create this new life for myself. And she kept making me feel guilty about it and kind of pulling me back and pulling me back. So I'd start getting the success. I'd start doing my own thing and she'd pull me back. And Mm. I started working with a new coach and I was kind of mentioned what was going on and, you know, what I was having some troubles in my business and why wasn't I getting the success I wanted. And I happened to mention this to her and she said, that's what's going on. She said, you need to set stronger boundaries with your mom because I was, again, giving up my time. She would phone me and I need this. I need that. Can you run this errand? Can you go do that? So I would drop everything to go do it. And she would call every morning and all of a sudden we'd, you know, she'd be in a bad mood and she'd bring me down. So then the rest of the day I was in this shitty mood because she started my day that way. And I realized that if I was going to be successful, I had to set boundaries with the person I'm closest with. And that was the hardest. And she pushed back. Like I, I remember I got on the phone with her one day and I said, mom, I love you more than anything. You are my person but you were dragging me down. I said, your negativity, everything is just too much for me. And I said, so this is what I need from you. And if you can't understand that, I'm sorry, you're going to have to step back. But this is what I need from you. I need you to quit being so negative. I need it so that I'm not talking to you till the end of the day, because she loves talking in the morning. And I'm like, you're turning my world upside down when we talk in the morning. I said, I'll call you at the end of the day when I'm done and I have the energy for you. And I said, but if you're going to just be negative, I'm going to hang up the phone. And she took that bad. She did. She yeah. cried. She didn't want to talk to me for days. Then we did. And she kept trying to push back, kept trying to go back to the way things were. And I kept having to reinforce it and say, no, remember, this is what I need. And it took over a year for her to actually respect my boundaries. And she still has her moments where she'll revert back and I have to gently remind her. But I told her, I said, as much as I love you, I will have to cut you out if you can't follow my wishes, if you can't honor me and what I need to be a better person. Mm. That's a really, really difficult thing to do. I think a lot of people would just try to kind of fake it. And like, you know, half listen on those morning calls or just not answer the phone. Like, oh, I was in the shower. I was this, I was that. And like, just not be available rather than explicitly talking about it because your mother's reaction. I mean, that's exactly why, which is an understandable reaction. If she's not on that kind of journey herself, it's not like she's ready to hear like, oh yeah, you know, let me reflect on that. I am being really negative and I can see how that frames the day for both of us. She's not in that place. So to have that kind of conversation, um, that's a, as to me, that's as big a thing as being willing to leave your marriage after a few months. That is a really tough thing to do. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is really interesting to go from being a people pleaser to these two and, and many other, I'm sure, really strong non-people pleaser, self-empowering actions you've taken. Um, that is pretty amazing. And I, I think the contrast that that's not who you were, yet you were still able to do it. I hope that people listening are catching that. Like it is still possible. You didn't just kind of like ease your way out of it and just dance around it. You did actually address things directly to change your situation. Yeah. Yeah. I had to 
pretty much turn my world upside down or I was going to keep at the same track. I would mm. still be that people pleaser. I would still probably be in my marriage. I would still let my mom make me feel guilty all the time and control who I was. And I wouldn't be a coach. I wouldn't be following my passions because even now my mom, almost every week I still hear, why don't you just get a job? Why don't you just, you know, why are you a coach? Just get a job. You know what? Get a regular steady income. Just do what normal people do. And I said, mom, I've never been a normal person. I will (laughs) never be a normal person. That life was not meant for me. And I said, I'm making an impact. I'm making a change. And I am transforming women's lives. There is nothing better for me than what I do now. This is my passion. I wake up every morning excited to go to work, to talk to people, to help people. I mean, anytime I've been in a day job, I wake up in the morning going, oh my God, do I actually have to get out of bed this morning? Totally. Um, not that I've ever felt that, but I've heard that some people do. No. I've, and, I've, <laughs> and I've felt the opposite, which... If you can do that with your day, whether it's going to a job or working for yourself or whatever, to wake up and almost like trip getting out of bed because you're so excited with what you get to do today versus the like, oh my God, where's the snooze button? I have to do that today. Are you kidding? That's like the call from your mom. Like it's framing your entire day. It is. Yeah. yeah. Nowadays, I love what I do. I am so passionate. I am driven by my passion. I'm driven by knowing that I'm making a change. And that is my driver for everything I do. Everything I do now is, does it make me happy? Will it bring me more joy? And is it going to make me a better person? And that's always kind of the way I frame things. So if doing something for somebody is going to take away from me, from my joy, from my happiness, if it's going to send me back down that road of people pleasing, then my answer is automatically no. But if it's an opportunity that's going to bring me joy and bring me happiness and new opportunities and meeting new people or new learning, you know, learning curves, yeah, that's a definite yes. And that's where you got to start reevaluating things is, is it going to bring you down or is it going to lift you up? Yeah. Three questions I think we can all ask ourselves, the ones you just said. Does it make me happy? Does it bring me joy? Will it make me a better person? There's a little bit of advice people can take from this conversation right away. Is there something else you'd leave leave people with uh, to think about as they look at their own situation saying, yeah, you know, I am a people pleaser and I'm not sure how to break out of that? The biggest thing is to try, to start, do something, do anything, whatever it is, even if it's a baby step, just start working towards making a change. Don't settle. Don't just say, I'm too old. It's been too long or anything like that. Just make that decision that you want different, that you're going to do whatever it takes to make that change, even if it's one little step a day. Once you decide that you want different, you're going to show up differently, you're going to act differently, and you're going to look for opportunities to make things better. Yeah, really well said. Jen, when where can when can people find out more about you? They can find out more about you right now, but where where can they find out more about you? So my website is Live Your Remarkable Life. All right. What about social media and all that good stuff? Uh, same thing. Uh, Live Your Remarkable Life. Uh, Facebook is definitely my jam. That's where I show up the most. But I'm also on Instagram and a little bit on Pinterest as well. Yeah. All the same name. It is. Yeah. Easy to find me. Look for the girl with the big smile and lots of curls. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's awesome. And it rhymes. Yeah. As long as you say girl and not woman, then it, then it works out. Um, yeah. <laughs> Jen, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing this journey. And um, yeah, I do. I mean, I think it bears repeating those moments where you did some pretty profound, direct, strong actions that were very unpeople pleaser, really for your survival. Um, and it, if you find yourself in those kinds of moments, feeling all of those very valid reasons why you think you can't, you still can. Um, and, you know, I think, Jen, you're a great example of that ability that we all have, even at those moments. So thank you. Thank you very much. Are you ready to help me close the show? Of course. All right. Today's a new day. And go out and do it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jen. Thank you. Super important lesson so many of us can benefit from. I'm so glad that Jen uh, obviously not not just got through her own journey and learned how to do that and help others, but that she joined us to share that story and that insight with all of us because it's actually really common, right? People-pleasing, maybe you're not 100% that way. Maybe there are aspects of your life or certain contexts, right? Like her story about her family and how tough it was to change that dynamic with her mother. A lot of us are like that in one area of our life or another, maybe across the board, but maybe there are specific people where we've fallen into those patterns and we're struggling with it. And we love them and we want to be connected with them and it's taking more of us than maybe it should. So really valuable, valuable advice from Jen. I love that simple thought that, is this going to bring me joy? And if it is great, I'm going to do it. And if it's going to bring me down, I need to stop. Right? There are some things we do that are not about bringing us joy, but we have to do them anyway, like paying taxes or you know, mowing the lawn or whatever. Some people love that, others don't. So there's certain things that are just like obligations, but then there's others that we treat like obligations that maybe aren't. And if they're going to bring us down, can we stop? So really valuable. I know so many people can benefit from that. Definitely do go to liveyourremarkablelife.com and follow at liveyourremarkablelife across all social media. I have one ask for you. This podcast is a big part of my life. It takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of passion. I care about it. I would ask that you help this podcast to thrive by subscribing, by rating it, and by telling someone you know and you care about who you think would enjoy this, tell them about it to help spread the message of this show. We're over 110 episodes in with this one from Jen. There's a bunch more recorded. There's some more on the way, some cool guests that I'm cultivating right now. So there's much more in store for you as a listener. But I need your help to make sure the show is thriving and growing. And so that's my ask of you this week. Subscribe if you haven't, rate and review the show if you haven't on whatever podcast platform you listen on, and tell a friend, tell a family member, tell someone you care about, hey, you should check this out. You can send them to doadaypodcast.com, and that'll take them to the most recent episode. There's subscribe links all over every episode's show notes page. Really easy to spread the word. All right, I'm going to leave it there. You've got your action. You've got your ask. I need you to please me before you stop being a people pleaser, but take Jen's words in because I know all of us has places in our lives, either discrete individual places or more broadly, where 
maybe that balance is off and we need to start making different decisions. So that is the advice for you in this episode that you can take and go out and do it. Thanks, everyone.